Welcome to the AEM Education and Training Podcast, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Education and Training Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. Any academic emergency physician knows they've got lots of simultaneous roles to play. On shift in the ED, we've got to balance patient care and department flow with supervising and teaching medical students and residents, and at any one time we can feel a tug of war over which hat we're wearing predominantly. Today we're going to talk about that tug of war and how the context of what's going on in the ED can affect it by discussing a new article in the AEM Education and Training Journal entitled, The Teacher, the Assessor, and the Patient Protector, a conceptual model describing how context interfaces with the supervisory roles of academic emergency physicians. With us today, we have three of the authors of this paper, Dr. Teresa Chan and PhD candidates Anita Akai and Shelley Ann Lee, who will introduce themselves further in just a moment. Don't forget to read the full text of this article available on our blog at brownemblog.com. Okay, hello, welcome to all of you. Um, Before we start, let's just have you introduce yourselves so the listeners know who is speaking when. Hi, my name is Teresa Chan, and I am an Emerge Doc and a part of the AEM Education Training Editorial Board and the Assistant Dean of uh, Program for Faculty Development here at McMaster University. I'm also an Associate Prof, I guess. <laughs> Great. Uh, Shelly Ann, how about you? Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Shelly Ann, and I'm currently in my final year of my PhD at University of Toronto. I'm also the current uh, research and quality improvement lead at Toronto Western Hospital University Health Network, as well as a research uh, guideline development methodologist at Registered Nurses of Association of Ontario. Wonderful. And Anita. Hi, everyone. I'm Anita. I'm just completing my PhD in psychology and medical education at McMaster, and I'll be joining the Department of Psychiatry at McMaster as faculty in January. All right. Excellent. So um, so let's get into the paper. So physician educators uh, are all challenged by our simultaneous need to provide first safe and efficient patient care and also our need to educate and assess and supervise our learners. So As a team, you were investigating the competing roles that academic emergency physicians have in the ED at any one time. And so we're going to get into this more, but you call them teacher, assessor, and patient protector. And and how the context of what's happening in the ED changes what the physician's concept of their role is at any given time. So let's start with this. What was previously in the literature about the balancing of these roles? So I think that when you're in the emergency department, one of the big things is that it's always a there's a there's a tension going on, right? There's there's a tension between providing great clinical care and being able to provide great learning opportunities for your learners. And the previous literature suggested this uh, phenomenon is not unique to emergency medicine. Um, a, one of uh, the Canadian internists, Mark Goldschmidt at Western University, which is my alma mater for med school, he wrote about supervisory styles and how uh, attendings kind of have uh, different supervisory styles depending on how much they favor, let's say, uh, the trainee versus favor kind of patient care and kind of define some of those domains um, earlier on. 
what we wanted to do was take that literature and advance it a little bit more to understand what the tensions were with faculty members in real time as they're navigating all of their different roles simultaneously. And to understand that, you know, like people talk about duality, but really a triality of realities for our, a lot of our uh, faculty members now, because with the advent, especially in Canada, of competency-based medical education, um, Whereas before you had the patient and the teacher as the two ends, now we're also asking our frontline faculty to constantly be vigilant, assessing our trainees, giving them entrustment scores, uh, giving them uh, observation and feedback. And, and that adds a layer of complexity. It's one more spinning plate, let's say, uh, when you've already got a whole bunch of plates spinning. Uh, now you have to watch and give feedback to the apprentices who are spinning their own plates. And, and it becomes this like very, very complex network of things. And so we want to explore that. So that's, that's kind of where the literature, uh, a little bit of the literature background is that there are other people who have studied this quite well and uh, had advanced the field to a certain degree. And we wanted to understand the context of the emergency department because we thought, you know, the, the chaos of the emergency department is real and it's never been as real as now when we're like, you know, fighting pandemic, but even on uh, pre-pandemic days or post-pandemic days, let's say in the future, um, you're still managing multiple patients at once. You're still managing multiple trainees at once. You're still trying to optimize all of that at the same time. So now you've come along, your team has come along, and you want to investigate this context more, the dimension of context and how it affects these roles. So specifically, what attributes of context are we talking about? And uh, can you explain more about why you felt that this was important to investigate, particularly in the emergency department? Sure. So the contextual attributes we're looking at is, for example, training competence, the pace of the emergency department, the workflow, uh, the patient complexity, and also the culture of the academic medicine that's, um, that influences the extent to which certain roles were considered more salient at any given time when we're talking about different roles. And we're going to talk about a little bit more about uh, the you know, what it means uh, when the participants are referring to the patient protector and the assessor and the, the teacher and how they coalesce together. And um, in the literature, it's interesting because um, many of the existing empirical studies, they look at the different supervisory styles and how uh, certain faculty prefer uh, different types of um, or approaches to the ways they supervise and provide a direct observation. And um, there's a lot of literature on entrustment as well, uh, depending on, for example, the training competence. But there's less um, emphasis on the contextual attributes uh, that contribute to the, you know, the, more of the accentuation of certain roles versus the others. So this is why we thought maybe the context would influence um, the the way that the faculty members or, or the um, physician attendings are assessing and teaching and, and also providing and, and ensuring the quality care that they give to the patients. Mm -hmm. So you used a constructivist grounded theory approach to examine this question. So before we talk more about study design, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure, maybe I can speak to that a little bit. So with constructivist grounded theory, uh, the idea is that you're trying to uh, develop a theory or a conceptual model from your qualitative data. And we thought this would be uh, a really good model for this study because there wasn't a lot of 
you know, prior theory in this area, we felt that by collecting some data, we could maybe contribute a model um, as we did in this paper. And also we wanted to, I think, dig a little bit deeper and, and have a bit more of a nuanced understanding of, of our phenomenon of interest. Um, so we did that by uh, interviewing a number of uh, emergency me- medicine physicians um, faculty and um, really use their views to um, continue to dig deeper and, and develop the conceptual model that we presented in this paper. Great. Now, uh, tell us a little bit more now about the study design and your methods. Sure. So um, our study took place within uh, McMaster University's Emergency Medicine Residency Program. And the program itself has been using um, an assessment system called McMap, the McMaster Modular Assessment Program, for a number of years um, as a way of programmatically assessing the numerous competencies required of an emergency medicine specialist. And so we ended up using um, a snowball sampling approach where we um, identified an initial subset of faculty who had used McMap and were recommended to us by the program director. And then we asked those folks to recommend other potential participants. And in that way, the snowballing uh, sampling approach allowed us to draw on a range of perspectives and to really tap into um, a range of different roles that people might take on within the emergency department. Um, So that was another nice um, aspect of the study is that our approach was able to um, bring in a range of perspectives and really help us um, build out this conceptual model. Okay, so you you wound up interviewing sixteen physicians for this, and so how how then did you analyze things and arrive at describing these competing roles as teacher, assessor, and patient protector? Those are just I don't know the names are they're they're, they're snazzy names. So what did you how did you come come up with those words exactly? Sure. Uh, so initially we haven't conceptualized the specific roles. It was really through the participant transcripts and what they shared with us. So the participants, uh, these faculty members, they they spontaneously mentioned these roles. And we thought, you know what, this is very interesting because even in the first four transcripts, we see patterns across and we wanted to dive a little deeper into, you know, what is, um, what, what are they really referring to? And, you know, just to try to get uh, in terms of their meaning making when they're uh, identifying themselves in these roles. And so we went back to the clinical supervision literature and we looked at, you know, specifically uh, some of the uh, supervisory, clinical supervisory literature, not even uh, only in, for example, academic medicine, but also beyond and seeing how uh, supervisors and um how they describe the roles, and which was helpful in ensuring that once we um, once we interview the remaining trans, or sorry, remaining interviews, that we're able to also capture that. And so that's how it came about. It was something that was more uh, inductive in a way, um, not something that was more deductive. And I think it was helpful because it really um, coincides nicely with the constructive gra- uh, constructivist grounded theory approach. Excellent. So let's talk a bit more about what you discovered about each role. Uh, so let's start with teacher. Sure. Uh, so with the teacher role, uh, the faculty members placed a very heavy emphasis on the teaching and the role modeling as part of their physician responsibility. And so it was interesting that it seems as though 
being a good role model for the trainees was really important to them uh, for their vocation. And also uh, the teaching was also uh, emphasized uh, from the faculty members. And then there was also a sense of wanting to pay it forward and giving it back to the system where they felt as learners, they were trained by uh, really good physician attendings. And then at the same time, they would like to contribute back in the same way. Um, So I wonder if others also have thoughts on this, Teresa and Anita? I think you captured it quite well, Shelly Ann, and I think, um, you know, the teaching role makes sense to me, given that these folks are at an academic center, but it was nice to hear, you know, how closely they identified with that role and how much they wanted to, as you said, pay it forward to the next generation. And let's be honest, I think when you have a snowball sampling technique that starts with the program director nominating the best educators, you're going to get a bit of a skew. But that's what we're trying to explore is even the best educators, how these tensions arose. And so um, obviously, not everyone who is in academic medicine will always cling to this role as as greatly. So um, partly, it might have been a bit of our uh, bias or leaning, I guess, uh, because we're in a more constructivist framing, that the approach that we took uh, would give us a certain window into the world. And this is the one that we chose. We wanted to understand exceptional teachers, people who are really dedicated to this task, how even in those circumstances, people might be having tensions with, uh, with the teacher and the other roles. Excellent. So let's talk about role number two, the assessor. Yeah, I found this role quite interesting, actually, because there were some faculty that, you know, almost completely disassociated themselves with this role. Like they talked about it as being cold or dispassionate or maybe just checking off tick boxes. But others, I think, um, really identified the assessor role as as a necessary role, something that is critically important in, um, you know, in training um, the next generation. And I think what it really came down to was the identification of some challenges so that when you're assessing and you recognize that perhaps there's some areas for improvement, um, some faculty can find it challenging to convey those negative or constructive comments to trainees. And so um, while this is obviously important to ensure that, uh, you know, the trainees develop the skills needed to become safe and independent practitioners, um, maybe this is an area for ongoing faculty development is just, you know, providing some guidance on how to convey um, you know, those kinds of constructive comments in a, in a positive or, or in a meaningful way. And, and I would probably um, highlight that one of the big things that we're seeing is probably the emergence of, of, of assessment as being something that wasn't natural in the clinical work environment. Um, traditionally. It, it was something that you gave feedback, you gave some stuff, you did some teaching. But generally speaking, assessment of performance was not something that was hardlined into the culture. Um, it was always there implicitly hidden, right? Like if someone deemed you not worthy of being able to take that first shot at intubation, you were going to be watching, right? Um, by bringing out the assessor role and and actually putting a label on it um, and and articulating that that's actually what we've been doing all along made people uncomfortable, but not necessarily in a way that's bad, 
as we move into competency-based medical education, which we have in Canada in 2018, formally na- nationwide, we use Entrustable Professional Activities, or EPAs, across the country, um, and those are the things that people are assessed to. So we have a common nomenclature now across the country for all emergency residents in the specialist program within uh, Canada, and, and, and now it's prime time. Now you don't pass residency unless you get all your EPAs signed off upon and, and attested to. And so that is worthwhile for us to uh, navigate this. And this was work that was done as precursor work to a transition into formal nationwide CBME. And so we think that this is really important for people to know that there is going to be that tension, that there is going to be that discomfort with assessing. Uh, and then as faculty developers or leaders in education, we need to be mindful of that and then help our faculty navigate through that and be able to point out to them that, you know what, you are always making a judgment about whether or not you could send that uh, resident in to resuscitate a patient and then you'd follow up 15 minutes later. Or if you were going to be like literally breathing down their neck as they intubated. Those are completely assessment-driven uh discussions and, and decisions that you always have with your trainees and to and to now make it explicit is really just one more formalization but to understand that there was that tension and that discomfort with that role is I think crucially important for understanding why people don't do this job well. So let's talk about role three then uh, the patient protector how does that intertwine with these? Uh, I thought this one's very interesting because Uh, First and foremost, the faculty members identify themselves as physicians, and this is how the other roles have emerged. And one of them they identify very strongly with is patient protector role. So safeguarding patient safety is a priority at all times. And even though, you know, most of them consider the relevance of all of the three roles, they identified extremely strongly with the patient protector role, um, particularly when patient safety was at stake. And so that was very interesting because they would never hesitate to um, to jump in when, let's say, a trainee was uh, doing something that was incorrect or they felt that safety uh, was at risk for the patient. So that was um, something that emerged. And I almost felt that um, their identity as a physician has really spearheaded uh, specifically this role. Yeah, I mean, I think that as a clinician, I think this is this is the job we have. This is what we're there to do is to provide care and protect our patients, um, either from a disease stage or in some instances, unfortunately, the system. And the system includes junior trainees that um, sometimes may lack the expertise to do things completely well. And so noticing that we do do that level of protection in that if you're not the best case person to do a procedure, uh, that's the most obvious. Um, But also if you just need to go back and do another round of history because nothing's hanging together correctly, this is what we do. We we do that quality check and quality assurance process. Uh, And the trainees will learn from that, especially if we lean into the assessor role and the teacher role and actually uh, see all three of those roles as things that we do simultaneously when something's off. The buck does stop with us. Um, and for various reasons, and your other podcast that talks about medical legal risk, that, that's another reason why it's important as well, because in protecting the patients, we're also protecting the trainees uh, from some of those undue hardships later on too. And so I think that those are in- interesting tensions, and that's that third role um, manifest. 
Well, thank you for that shout out. <laughs> so, uh, so let's talk about how how your findings described what happened with these shifting roles uh, according to the context of what was happening in the ED at any given time. Sure. Uh, so in terms of the context, as we had earlier uh, mentioned about how they it really depends, right? So, for example, let's say it was a, a slow, uh, a slow day at the or a slow night at the emergency department. Then the faculty members are able to dedicate more time to do more intentional teaching. Whereas for sometimes um, when it gets really busy, it could or when the cases are too complex, for example, the uh, the faculty member might need to step in and do some more uh, just in time teaching. And so we could see that the roles uh, shift. And so, for example, with a slower uh, slower day, they might have uh, more time to do more assessment, right, and more intentional teaching, as, as mentioned before, or, you know, depending on the patient complexity. And also depends on the trainee's um, skill set as well. So um, th- that is also taken into consideration. I think that hit the mark. I mean, I, I think that at the end of the day, um, it's just interesting to tease apart some of the things that we lump all together um, and to start thinking of them as slightly different aspects of ourselves. So how did the physician's own training shape the way they looked at their roles and responsibilities? Yeah. So, I mean, I think you can, you can almost think of this as its own contextual variable. And I, and I think that's how we talked about it in the paper, actually. Um, because, in, and I think we, we mentioned earlier that um, a lot of the, the physicians view teaching as a way of giving back. Um, so again, that speaks to their own experience as trainees and what they might have learned from their own preceptors and their own mentors about how to teach and what teaching means. And I think it can go the other way too, right? Like I think if someone's had a particularly negative experience, maybe, you know, their time as a faculty position, as a faculty member rather, is about how not to do the things that, that, you know, were done to them as trainees. So, so I can think it can both go both ways. And um, also I think the way that you, uh, you know, enact each role, whether it's the teacher, the assessor, or the patient protector, is probably in some ways influenced by what you've observed yourself. Um, so Teresa mentioned, obviously, you know, learners picking up on on her being that patient protector. And I think that's very true. Um, people will, in some ways, emulate uh, what they've learned in their own training. What are the limitations of this study that you'd like to highlight? I think a few of the, the limitations are, are maybe um, related to, as Teresa was saying earlier, actually, um, potential response bias. So obviously, the folks who participated in this study were the engaged clinical teachers. Um, Our initial sort of subset was recommended to us by the program director. And so, you know, there's always the risk of getting those who are more involved in um, the education process and and not those who tend to take more of a, a sideline approach. And I think the other uh, thing is that while we really feel that this model may actually apply to a number of other areas of medicine, we only tested it within the context of emergency medicine. So this model was developed from a sample that was based in emergency medicine. And so we can't make any claims as to whether or not it applies to other specialty areas or clinical settings. But we think that this would actually be an interesting area for future study um, if there are interested individuals. So speaking of areas for future study, um, what, what would you like us to take away from this work and what do you think needs to come next? 
so I mean I think that whenever you're doing some work in this area, I think you're usually have a have a mind as to where we could be using this. And I think for me, my interest right now increasingly is faculty development, as per my job description right now within my university. Um, but I but I do think that as we move into more and more competence based medical education. Um, we need to be exploring maybe using this conceptual framework, this theoretical framework as a lens to tease apart the way that we attack either fact dev or any kind of like implementation or other kind of like things that we do at the bedside to help people understand all of their different roles. Um, I think when we're doing training for teachers, it's important to highlight that they have this triality of roles and that there are intersecting roles in between um, where they're going to have to make some decisions and, and, and probably bias one way or the other, depending on complexity of the case or the, the newness and the greenness of our host staff and, and, and navigate that. I think there's lots of different ways that we can tactically use the the framing that of the mid-level theory that we've generated here to be able to then you know make a survey or uh, explore it further with regards to um, understanding whether or not an intervention that's built around this might help be more effective in uh, in in teasing apart and getting people to buy into the assessor role um, things like that right like I think that the the great part of having a new conceptualization is that it can be used as a lens in order for people to see the world differently and I think that that's what allows us to move the field forward is to say here's a new framing of the way that we see the world when we're working clinically in a busy emergency department okay so we got the teacher, assessor, patient protector in context. And so how can we design SIM cases? How can we design, you know, uh, teaching materials? How can we design even a YouTube video or a podcast to better help faculty conceptualize these roles and navigate them better? That is probably where um, the next step of what we do needs to kind of be taken up either by ourselves or by others. Yeah, and I'll just add to that, that um, I think there's often this assumption with competency-based medical education that, you know, people will somehow just know how to do it just because we're doing more of it. And I don't think that's necessarily true. Like, we see in our work here that um, just because faculty have been using McMath for a while and they've been assessing more often doesn't necessarily mean that they feel any more comfortable providing, for example, negative feedback. So I think I really like Teresa's point about how we can really use this for some targeted faculty development in specific areas and just recognize that there will still be a need for that um, despite switching to this new method of of training and new method of education. Just to add on to that, uh, based off from what Teresa and Nina mentioned as well, is that we do want to highlight and underscore the importance of context, right? Because we see that each and every, uh, you know, different emergency department, they have their own culture, they have their own way of assessment. And that it really just infiltrates throughout the entire department in terms of whether it's teaching, assessing, or their identity as a physician. So we just want to also advocate uh, the importance of looking into context where um, there's little research being done right now currently in uh, emergency medicine or even in academic medicine at large. So this is why we felt that this would be important to also understand the nuances behind each of these roles. Well, thank you so much to all of you for coming today to talk about this work. I'm excited to see what comes next. Thank you so much. 
Thanks for listening to this AEM Education and Training Podcast. Be sure to read the full text of this article, available on our blog at brownemblog.com. Subscribe to all our AEM podcasts on Apple Podcasts. Search for AEM Early Access, all one word. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.